0: Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. And we're back with another edition of Feminist Movie Friday. And this one is kind of a departure because we've done superhero movies and horror Horror movies. Yeah.
1: So we're trying to mix it up. Yeah, I thought this would be a little more lighthearted. Yeah. As opposed to the revenge uh, episodes that we just completed. And funnily
0: enough, even though it is more lighthearted, I would definitely agree. We have to put a trigger warning in here at right. the top for suicide and very brief mention of sexual assault. Yeah. You were
1: pretty surprised at the very beginning. Oh, yeah. You thought I tricked you.
0: I did. I, I Because I've never seen this until right. Samantha and I watched it together about a week ago. Right. And I had no idea what to expect. (laughs) Samantha,
1: you said something like it's about middle-aged women being sad or something. It is definitely one of those, yeah, up-and-coming middle-aged women movies.
0: Right. So so for it to start in the way that it does with a suicide was a little surprising to me. It's an origin story. True, true. And we'll get more into the plot in a second. Um, But for basics, this is a 1996 comedy. Comedy, yes. Um, You you giggled. I did. I definitely did. And it turned out to be a pretty good choice of movie because of the question of revenge versus justice that comes up quite a bit. And we talked about that in our part one on women and revenge. And... um, it was very, very gloriously 90s, I'll say that. Oh, oh absolutely. It, that was a fun little flashback. I loved those. You love the 90s. Do
1: you remember the first time you saw this? Oh, yeah. So, I do not. Because <laughs> it's been a while from when it's... I, don't, I can't remember who, where, or what, but I just remember seeing it. Um, but I do remember that I watched this as well as A League of Their Own um, in preparation to the 2016 election. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, and, and trying to get all... Really kind of inspired and, you know, not too deep into it, like dark, Mm -hmm. but kind of inspiration level of, okay, we can do this. Yes. And funnily enough, Ivana Trump is in it. Yeah. We will discuss that more later, too. There was more, you recognized more cameos than I did, (laughs) and I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, it's Gloria Steinem. (laughs) And I I was like, was that really? It was. It was. It was. Let's go ahead and get into it, because it is a fantastic movie to me. Uh-huh. Your friend Marissa, great listener. Yes. She agrees. Yes. Thank and you, Marissa. Marissa says it. That is the law. Yes. I love her taste. Um, so, for plot, if you have not seen this movie, or maybe it's been a while, which for a lot of people probably has. Yeah. So, there, this is a 1996 movie directed by Hugh Wilson with a screenplay by Robert Harling, based on a 1992 book of the same name by Olivia Goldsmith. It stars Goldie Hahn, Bette Midler, and Diane Keaton as three recently reunited friends who decide to help each other get revenge, or justice, yeah. as they say, um, against their ex-husbands who ditched them for younger women, played by Sarah Jessica Parker, which, by the way, this was made after Hocus Pocus. It was. We did that up. Marsha Gay Harden, who is phenomenal, and Elizabeth Berkeley, you know her from Saved by the Bell fame. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the periphery, we have Maggie Smith as an NYC socialite, Dame Maggie Smith, right. If you want to be nasty, <laughs> and a cameo appearance by Gloria Steinem, which I missed until you pointed this out to me, Annie, and Ivana Trump, uh, which she's kind of the all-encompassing first wife. Like she's the or, what they call her, the original first wife. Mm-hmm. Also, just to throw it out there, it had a bit of the women in the movie as inspiration.
0: Yeah, and um, if you're like me, and maybe you didn't get the. Uh, the title at first? It's because they were First Wives. Um,
1: I don't know why oh, I didn't wait. put that you didn't, together. <laughs> you didn't know this? I don't know okay, why. I I thought that was obvious, but yes. It is That is, is exactly why.
0: <laughs> but um, I did not put it together, so just thought I'd put that out there. Despite mixed reviews, this movie became a box office hit, earning almost $200 million at the box office, and it definitely got a cult following, especially among middle-aged women. It inspired a musical and a television show. And a movie like this is still, unfortunately, pretty rare. A main cast of middle-aged women about their friendship, even though, yes, they do spend a lot of time talking about men. Yes. Um, But, yeah, we don't really see that too much. Right. The movie starts off in 1969 with four friends, Annie, played by Keaton, Elise, played by Goldie Hahn, Brenda, played by Bette Midler, and Cynthia, who's played by Stalker Channing, who you told me was in Greece. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, Very good. Hi, I was paying attention. And they have just graduated college and are filled with excitement about their futures. They share a champagne toast, and Cynthia presents her friends with pearl necklaces. Oh. Yeah, I know. I said, well... I didn't get that from any of my friends. That's okay. We don't need pearl necklaces. But they, they get these pearl necklaces and they take a picture together. And Cynthia makes them all promise that they'll always be there for each other. And then it cuts to present day. And Cynthia is tearfully gazing at the picture, clearly implying that they have drifted apart. They have not, in fact, been there for each other. She's living in a super fancy apartment. Through a series of newspaper headlines, it's revealed that her ex-husband, a man Cynthia helped climb the social ladder, married a much younger woman, I believe like two days before, right? uh, two days after they got divorced. Heather Locklear. What? Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Um, So Cynthia gives her maid her set of pearls and three letters to mail to her once close friends. Then she puts on this floor-length fur coat... There's so much fur in this movie. There's a lot of fur. The 90s, I guess. guess. Um, She gets a drink and a cigarette, and then she jumps off the balcony to her death. There's also a lot of cigarette smoking. There is. (laughs) Also 90s, yeah.
1: Very 90s. (laughs) So at the funeral, the three friends who are shocked reunite, feeling guilty about not being there for their friend. They go out for lunch afterwards, and after a few drinks, they all admit their lives aren't what they had hoped for. So they literally just go one. It starts at the very beginning when they're really nice to each other. Yeah. And just being like, everything's perfect, everything's perfect. Yeah. And then cut to like four drinks later. Right. Everything spills. Yeah. Annie and her husband are separated in therapy, which, by the way, she puts a positive spin. She does. She, she acts makes like everything's really okay. Yeah. Um. And then actress Elise's husband left her for a younger actress, and she is now an alcoholic, reliant on plastic surgery. And I think it is really kind of funny because at that point, there was this whole underlying joke mm-hmm. about her going in for plastic surgery. Right. So she was making it even bigger, very self-aware. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brenda's husband divorced her for a younger woman, leaving her in a financial lurch with her son. Right. The three women each have disastrous encounters with
0: their exes. After this this lunch, Annie spends the night with her ex-husband, believing that they're going to get back together, only to find out that her ex is dating her therapist played by Marsha Gay Harden, and he asks her instead of getting back together that he wants a divorce. Elise discovers that her ex is asking for alimony and half of their marital assets, claiming she would never have been successful without him. Brenda has an embarrassing encounter with her ex when she confronts him at a department store and his new wife Sarah Jessica Parker, in a dress that
1: Brenda had mocked earlier,
0: shows up and makes fun of her, her looks and her clothes and her size.
1: Right. Um, and then there's Cynthia's letter, which arrives, at, you see at the very beginning, the maid sends, right. off, sends, it, sends it off for her, uh, which inspires them to form the First Wives Club, as in the first wife left for the younger, second, third, whatever wife to get revenge on their exes, and they recouped. They also involve Annie's daughter, who is a lesbian, But then, but it is fun because she does get involved to help her as well as the socialite, New York socialite, Dame Maggie Smith, Brenda's mafia-connected uncle, and Brenda's boss, who is the interior decorator who I knew from Perfect Strangers from the 80s sitcom, I Know What I Know. (laughs) And that was the original TGI Friday lineup Mm -hmm. Um, they uncover. That Brenda's ex had committed tax fraud, um, taking a lot of stolen merchandise, sold it off as his own. And then Annie plans to restart her advertising company by buying out her ex's clients. To finance this, Elise liquidates her marital assets. Um, with their exes right to where they want them, the club decides that
0: they want to be better than their exes. They want to take the higher road. They want justice, not revenge. So they coerce their ex-husbands into funding their nonprofit, the Cynthia Swan Griffin Crisis Center for Women, primarily aimed at assisting abused women. The club throws this opening party at the center, and we we find out Elise is now sober, and she took the play that uh, her friends had encouraged her to accept the role. Um, Brenda reconciles with her ex. Annie bought out her ex and then turns him down at this party when he attempts to reconcile with her. Gloria Steinem is there, as is Ivana Trump, who says the famous line, don't get mad, get everything. When the party ends, the women, all dressed in white, sing Leslie Gore's You Don't Own Me.
1: Yeah, one of my favorite parts, because that's every time we talk about First Wives Club, that's the song that hits in my head, and Marissa actually commented in our story saying, are you guys singing that song? (laughs) I think she said that. Um, But yeah, it's also good to know In this whole kind of thing, you do have different tropes, and we're going to talk a lot about it, but there's definitely gaslighting when Annie's husband, A, breaks up with her, essentially, Mm -hmm. but then trying to also get back with her and then blaming her for his failures. But it's really interesting. I know we're going to talk a little more about it, but it's definitely like, huh, maybe... I see yeah. what you did there. We see it. We see it. Oh, I was so happy when she was like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> Not getting back with you. Yeah, it's also nice to see her get finally standing up because of, of yes. the crew, she's the one that kind of just is a peacemaker and quiet and submissive.
0: Yeah, and we're going we're gonna to talk about that um, in a little bit as well. Kind of the, I feel like in a lot of these movies, the characters represent this one kind of magnified right. trait. Right, right. Um, but yeah, the, this song, You Don't Own Me, has been stuck in my head since we've done it. And I thought it was from Suicide Squad, and you kept singing it from this. No. Nope. And I was like, oh, it makes nope. sense that it's existed for a long time. Yes. Yes. Yes,
1: because obviously it's been around for a while, but they do it as a trio. Oh, well, I guess they did it as a quartet, because they had Cynthia with her with them, because they performed it in college.
0: They did, and yeah. so this was them kind of reclaiming it at yeah. the end.
1: And every time we talk about it, I also sing it. Yes, you do. And I may have sang throughout the movie as we were watching it. Yes, you did. Okay. So, yeah, this song was recorded in 1963 and was adopted as a part of the second wave feminist movement. It has been covered many a time. Oh, yeah. As you could tell because Annie thought it was from the <laughs> suicide squad. Well, that's where I heard it from. <laughs> well, has not, it hasn't come out yet, but it was on the uh, ad, ads, right? The trailers? Yes, yeah, yes, yes, yes. yes. And we do want to
0: look into each of these characters a bit more in depth. But first, we're going to pause for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So, yes, I feel like in a lot of movies like these, or even books, um, the characters are distilled into one basic thing. The pretty one, the goofy one, the nice one, and that always leads to a BuzzFeed quiz, like, which one are you? Um, through these main characters, you can see different stereotypes about women personified.
1: Right. Um, and I think it also, each one of them that they play is kind of a stereotype of them as as individuals that they are known for. Beth yeah. Medler is known for being sarcastic and sassy mm-hmm. in real life. Diane Keaton... I don't know if she's ever been like just nice, nice, but she's definitely the quieter, seemingly submissive one. And then you have Goldie Hahn, who has always been the kind of treated as a dumb blonde yeah. type of thing. Um and then again I think often applies with women who are getting back at people, the witches of Eastwick, which we talked about. I forgot about that movie for yeah. a while and then had to go back and read the plot because it's been so long since I've watched it. Mm-hmm. The craft, even Hocus Pocus, and oddly applied to witches maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it just happened to be my theme, I guess. Maybe. Um, it hasn't changed even in TV. If you think about, like, Sex and the City, mm-hmm. and speaking of Sarah Jessica Parker and that kind of trope as well, there's four of them. They all represent very specific types of women. Yeah. And then um, you also have the new show, Dollface, which I've talked about before on Hulu. Um, and I think that has that same persona as well. You've got the down-to-earth, sassy one Mm -hmm. versus the, you know, over-the-type, stereotypical Asian woman. That's a whole thing in itself. I think that's another episode that we should get into is why do we have to represent women so monotonally? One-dimensionally. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I could talk about that for a long time. It is interesting because you you really can see this everywhere. And one thing, (laughs) to get really nerdy for a second... When you're creating a character in Dungeons and Dragons, one thing they say is pick a trait and that's your thing. And that's going to make it easy for you to know what this character would do. So it's, it can be something as small as I'm afraid of blood or right. I get nauseous really easily. Right. It's just funny. I feel like writers do this a lot where we pick, okay, you're this. And right. it's going to be easy to write you then. But okay. Let's look at our cast, starting with Diane Keaton's Annie, who provides kind of sporadic voiceover for the film. Um, yeah, and I would say she's the nice one. She's the
1: what I would call the middle child, the peacekeeper.
0: Yeah, yeah. You said that I would, I was most closely related to her. Like if I took the test, this is the one I would get. Yeah, I
1: definitely did. I think hmm. I, said, I said I would definitely be Bette Midler. <laughs> Well, <laughs> I would be Brenda. I, li- I like Except that. not Jewish, but you know, Asian.
0: <laughs> there you go. There you go. This is the update, the reboot we need. Um, <laughs> she's, Annie is shy. She's plagued by low self esteem. She doesn't really speak up for herself. She doesn't really express her emotions. In Cynthia's letter to her, she said she most admired Annie's strength. And present day Annie's daughter, yes is a lesbian. Did she like in, this is the first thing you learn about her. Right. Um anyway, calls her a doormat, pointing out that she lets her ex walk all over her. That's why her daughter was so ready to help her
1: right get Which, revenge. By the way, is her father. Yes. <laughs> she just could not stand her own father. Exactly.
0: Meanwhile, um, Annie's mom keeps pushing for her to get back with her ex. And on the surface, Annie is very upbeat. I was actually confused at first because right. I was like, well, she's so happy, but what she's saying is so sad. <laughs> <laughs> but that's she just, the idea. yeah, exactly. But she plays it so well. I was like, is she really happy with this situation? Um, but yes, yeah, she is in therapy. And that's the, one of the first signs you get that. All might not be well, um, where her therapist urges her to get angry and hit her with like what looks
1: like a toy bat filled with air or something. It's no, it's a styrofoam bat. Kids play with it. It's kind of like the Nerf version of a bat, Mm -hmm. but it's just a large yellow and blue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The safe colors. Yes. (laughs) Um, And
0: at first, Annie can't do it. Like she does it, but she's sort of laughing. But then with the continued pressuring of her therapist, she snaps and starts. Whacking at her with all this pent up anger. She,
1: I think that's foreshadowing too.
0: It is. I did. I never guessed I that. that. <laughs> um, yeah, she's always apologizing and taking the blame. That I did notice really quickly that she's constantly saying "I'm sorry." Um, with the three friend when they when the three friends reconnect over lunch, she maintains everything with her relationship is perfect, even when she reveals they are separated and Brenda and Elise are like, <gasps> she's They start like,
1: laughing. That is, yeah. which by the way, would be kind of, not that that's not a nice reaction, but it could definitely sound like that.
0: <laughs> that's cute. Yeah. they do, Brenda and Elise have a more like, oh, we've seen it, you yeah. know, kind of cynical view. Um, she believes her husband is going to get back together with her. She's super excited about it when she gets the phone call. Um, but, yeah, he instead, after they have sex, uh, asks for a divorce, and then her therapist shows up, and it's revealed that she is, yes, the new girlfriend. Um, the same, her, this therapist, by the way, had been telling her she needed to work on her self-esteem, <laughs> like, mm. So, Annie flips out, her voice gets super high-pitched, she storms out crying. Throughout the film, we see her struggling with fear and expressing herself when they have to escape an apartment via window washing scaffolding, yes, that, that happens in this movie. Uh, she's the one that's terrified, although I do think that is fair. Uh, when the group drunkenly sings a rendition of You Don't Own Me, the first time in the movie, um, she is tentative. She stops out of shyness when the other two attempt to let her sing by herself. But she mm-hmm. does grow into herself with the help of the women in her life. Right. When she becomes majority shareholder in her husband's her ex-husband's company, she does it confidently. When her husband tries to reconcile with her, she tells him to go himself. At the end, her mom says, you know what you need? Absolutely nothing. And during the final music number, she sings it joyously and confidently. Right.
1: And I think that was part of the thing. Is she didn't want to be seen. Mm-hmm. And so when they would let her be seen, she would freak out because it was so embarrassing for her. She wanted to be the perfect whatever. Right. So if she, she can't sing perfectly, she didn't want to sing out loud. Mm-hmm. Um I think it's interesting because it is. she's one of those characters that does have the mother who is continually pressuring her yeah. to stay married. It didn't yes. matter what was happening. It's mm-hmm. just, you should be together with this man. Mm-hmm. I think, does she mention about her being older not being able to find someone else? She does, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Which is absolutely kind of a stereotype of the mother. Right. Okay, so let's hop into Goldie Hawn, whom I love. She plays a struggling actress, mm-hmm. Elise, who is, you know... Very, very famous for a long while. And then she comes at an age where she realizes, oh, I'm at the in-between, which I know we've had many discussions on. You're too old to play this, but you're too young to play this. Mm -hmm. So what do we do with you? You're just pasture. So she she once was an Oscar-winning actress, but has now been relegated to B-movies due to her unprofitable age, quote unquote. Now getting roles for the mother. And when they talk about the mother, they say the words, grotesque. Yes. Like he that's how he describes the character. Yes. Um, as opposed to the the young hot daughter, which, you know, that doesn't happen anymore, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I've seen many actresses now mm-hmm. who don't age. Yeah. It's phenomenal. I'm like, how do you look like this? Yeah. Angela Bassett, she is one of those, has never aged. I can't figure her out. Yeah. (laughs) She says in the movie, there are only three ages for women in Hollywood. Babe, District Attorney, and Driving Miss Daisy. And right now, I want to be young, she says. Science fiction young. Yeah. Um, And the first time we see present-day Elise, she's getting plastic surgery for what is implied to be one of numerous previous times. Um, and her plastic surgeon says something like, if you get any more plastic surgery, you're going to be able to blink your lips, which is funny. Um, she's also an alcoholic and a smoker, in part to deal with the fact her ex left her for a younger actress, again played by Elizabeth Berkeley. Her husband is asking for alimony and half of their assets to Elise's fury, which rightly so. Elise is insecure, vain, and consistently drunk. We do get to see her have fun with taking her husband's stuff, or her stuff, yeah, as she would say, selling for $1 to Annie and giving him half, yeah. <laughs> or all in the end, because he pouted. There's a scene soon after the first wives' club is formed where she was working out on a stair climber and Brenda asks her, doesn't it bother you that you're never getting anywhere? You climb and you climb and you climb and never reach the top. So something like that. And of course she says, no, I love it. I just This is when I can think, which ideas, I think, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of us think that way, because when I've been I used to run. <laughs> That's how I felt. But by the end of the movie, she accepted a role in a play, which is supposed to be really phenomenal, aging gracefully, I think. And she starts dating her coworker and gets sober.
0: Yeah, and I, I did want to include that thing about the stair climber because it does remind me. I might have been reading way too much into it, but like of putting in all of this work and just constantly keeping yourself busy, but you're not going, going anywhere. anywhere. Nothing is changing. Um, which I thought was interesting. And then, yeah, we have Bette Midler as Brenda, the goofy one, always ready with a wisecrack. She is financially strapped after she helped her husband succeed, and then he left her for a younger woman, Sarah Jessica Parker. That is a recurring theme in all of this, too, is that um, these women helped their husbands get to where they are. And then once they couldn't, I guess you could say in a very bad light, use
1: them anymore, then they left them. Right. I mean, essentially, they do say this is their midlife crisis. Brenda is the one that talks about him going through a midlife crisis with an earring and a car and all of that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and I guess part of that is Sarah Jessica Parker's
0: character. Right. Um, Brenda definitely has the best one-liners in the film, in my opinion. Goodbye, Love, Hello, Pop-Tarts was a favorite. That's a good one. Yes. <laughs> She's resentful of Beauty Standard. She complains about anorexia and bulimic women um, able to wear trendy fashions um, and clothes, she is the most in-your-face. She says it like she means it and perhaps has the least growth of any of them. Uh, at the end, she does end up reconciling with her ex after he is contrite. Not that that doesn't mean she hadn't, didn't have any growth, but I feel like she's sort of... I'm less sure of what her arc was as compared to the other other right. two. Right. Um, she is the butt of a lot of jokes, whether it's her frumpy clothes or her weight. At one point in the movie, Elise shouts at her, yeah, what did you ever win? A pie-eating contest? Best digestion? Um, And although, admittedly, Elise's plastic surgery is also a source of a lot of mockery, so it's kind of like we're making fun of women for doing, looking beautiful, or being the dumb blonde, as you say, and then not doing those things. Right.
1: And just kind of at the end, one of the things that Brenda feels like she's accomplished is that she has lost some weight. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she does say that, which, again, yeah, I'm with you. It doesn't seem like it's a big change mm-hmm. as everyone else. But I think one of her stories were the fact that they weren't villainizing men. Mm-hmm. They were trying not to villainize men. Right. And so Morty yes, was her husband, someone her ex. she uh, cared for and mm-hmm. still loved and just felt like he turned the wrong way. Mm-hmm. So that, that is, is, yeah. I think that's kind of part of the reasoning behind less growth for her. Um, again, so we do want to touch on Stockard Channing's Cynthia for a second, who kills herself three days after her husband left her and married a younger woman. Once again, Heather Locklear, who's in it very briefly. These were definitely like mainstay 90s women, by the yeah. way. Um, before she dies, she jumps to her death, a swan dive slash swan song, since her last name was Swan. And she puts on all of these trappings of her life. Like, she's wrapping herself in all the superficial stuff that ended up being meaningless, um, including the fact she's wearing heels, Yeah, you know, in her pajamas and her fur and her drinking. Um, her character represents a lot. The danger of defining yourself and your partner, getting your self-esteem through the relationship. In this case, the husband she helped build up. Yeah. Um, apparently, her fortune uh, actually helped his business. Yeah, They do say that and how we teach women that their main goal is to get married, again very 90s values that we were slowly flipping the idea at that mm-hmm. point, and how women's values in their looks as well as their age, and that without these things, their values go down. And I think a lot of this also had talked about that, how opportunities for women diminish as we age. I'm starting to get a little anxious about that, and <laughs> the difficulty of starting over, and the importance of female friendships and support. And again, okay, I think that's part of the reason I do love this film so much, it does rely more on the friendships. And for me, I think we've talked about this. You and I both talked about this. We're not relationship people. That's never been a thing for me. I've never needed to have a relationship. Didn't have that many boyfriends. My relationships did not ever last too long. Mm -hmm. But my friendships have been consistent. Um, And I've been fortunate to have really good friends in my life. And I know that if I need someone, they'll still be there. Even at almost 40, where we're coming up on middle age, me, I'm coming up on middle age, everybody else is younger, Uh, (laughs) I can still see them on a weekly basis. I can still hang out with them and consistently call them as where my mother, she lost contact with all of her friends Mm -hmm. because it was a different time and age and everybody was concentrating on family. No one had the access, like the internets. Right, um, And I think that's a really different... But I do love that even in the 90s, they saw it as an important conversation to be had about things fall apart. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, friendships la- outlast most of these things, obviously.
0: Yeah. Um, I, and I'm glad to see stories like this because we don't see that many of female friendships where that's like the first and foremost thing of the story. And for me, my my friendships with women in my life... Have been so valuable, like more than anything, and I'm so so lucky that I have that. Um, and the, the support is hard to to overstate. And speaking of supporting women, we did want to talk about some of the main tropes in this movie, including that one. But first, we're going to pause for one more quick break. Forward from our sponsor. We're back thank you sponsor and we did want to get into some themes of this movie some tropes and perhaps the biggest one being women supporting women right Um, and the power in that because that I mean that's the whole thing is that their relationships fall apart their lives fall apart but they have this supportive group of friends who not only is are they trying to get revenge and get justice but like in the case of Elise where they're like no you should take this play right you they're trying to help each other make healthier and more successful life decisions. Um, And I love seeing how Annie's daughter supports her and ultimately her mom does too, that there's three generations of women supporting each other and all the stuff that, yeah, these women are able to accomplish with each other's help. And they, for the most part, are building each other up and giving advice, believing in each other and helping each other succeed. Right.
1: So that is the idea behind this, they can't accomplish their glow up or groove back, Mm -hmm. you know, as we would throw it back, without the help of each other, which is only highlighted by the fact that their downfall, their loss of self was partially due to the loss of each other. I think that's really important to talk about. Not necessarily that it hinges on other people, but the fact that we do have to have support and others to push us. And a lot of times it's, we do grow apart. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the reality. What the friends I had 20 years ago, I may not have now,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but the friends I've had, you know, in this past have remained friends because we were able to grow up together or change together. And even though things can separate you, a lot of the times when you find those people, that core group of people, your people, mm-hmm. it is. It's an amazing thing, the things that you can do, th- things that you can get support from. Just being here was, you know, being able to do this is everything to do with the five the people I know, are supporting me or have pushed me to say, yeah, these are important things to talk about. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's a very significant part of who we are. And again, we would have to say this has to do with a lot with privilege. So, this was very white perspective, obviously, white rich <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. perspective, because we don't have an actress who's going to sell millions of dollars worth of things to us for a dollar which right. would be lovely. Oh, I mean, I would love God, that. it would be. <laughs> and then give us their fortune. But at the same time, the main idea of uh, is a nice feel of being able to see a group of friends who've been there for each other before come back together now.
0: Yeah, and the argument they have, I also think, was really enlightening because there is a layer of, oh, yeah, we've been trained to tear down other women because the things they're picking out on each other... Are largely looks based, but uh, like underneath it all, there still was a layer of, I don't know, caring. Because Brenda was worried about Elise's um, drinking, mm-hmm. and they definitely said things that were not supportive at all. But there, there was this sort of, at the core of it, that they still did care. Right. And speaking of women tearing down other women. We got to talk about the other woman. Right. The trope of that. Uh, Yeah, because we see that play out big in this movie. Um, And yeah, we were talking about this after the movie ended and how much blame we could place on these other women. So in the case of Sarah Jessica Parker's Shelley, she is a gold digger. She's a stereotypical gold digger. She's manipulative, but unintelligent, the beautiful ditz. Many, many jokes play out at her expense um, as the club, along with the sociolite Ganilla Goldberg,
1: which is Maggie Smith, trick her multiple times. Right, and I think, for me, I keep going back to the fact that it's so hocus-pocus, like her same character, almost. Mm (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it kind of is. But then you also have Marsha Gay Harden's Dr. Leslie Rosen, Annie's and her ex's therapist who claims to be helping with Annie's self-esteem which to me is definitely the idea of gaslighting not necessarily from uh, Marsha not necessarily from the therapist mm-hmm. perspective maybe because we don't know the conversations other than get your self-esteem you need to be stronger type of perspective yeah. but her husband once again continually saying you always do this to me you always make me feel this way you always da 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 and you're like no buddy that's not Yeah. <laughs> which I- is yeah token, definitely, idea of gaslighting yeah. the beginnings of and her taking that blame and her believing that blame mm-hmm. and believing that up until she exits at after finding out the therapist is the new woman yeah, and starts <laughs> screaming her non-apologies. Yeah. That was a great scene. Yeah.
0: Like, I'm so sorry I cared for you and right. I did everything supported you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> like
1: she just ends it. You gotta love her doing that. I love her I love her God that. Go I, I love too how the therapist is like, you've got to let her express herself. Right. And then we have the cameo by Elizabeth Berkeley, a young naive actress. And you can really see the power dynamic between her and Elisa's ex-husband, who is offering her all of these lead roles. Yeah, um, She's actually a fan of Elise and is at her play at the end. So she really does seem just like a super young, naive, and maybe flattered that an older man is interested in her who is also going to help her excel in her career. Right. And believing that she is, and maybe she is, but he is telling her she's good at all these things and if you continue to be these things, you know, I'll help your career, whatever, whatnot. But she comes in very naively, not even understanding, it seems, the relationship between... Yeah, Elise and the ex-husband. Like she just kind of, oh my god, I'm so glad you're here. Like it doesn't even occur to her that right. Elise might not be super right. happy to meet her. Exactly, and I feel like that's definitely a trope. But at the same time, at least it's not versus mm-hmm. woman versus woman. Yeah, and that 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 did make me feel a little better because when you and I are talking about that. I'm like, I hate that whole idea that when there's a, a downfall in a relationship, it's the, it's the other woman's fault. Yeah, instead of seeing, hey, that dude. Yeah. <laughs> It's no, the I agree. common denominator mm-hmm. in this whole scenario. right? Um, and again, she is supposed to be 16, so you could talk about the how in the world is she a 16-year-old that's living with this man and no one notices. That's a whole yeah, other conversation. It is. I did really appreciate that she showed up at the play
0: at the yes. end. I thought that was a nice touch. cheering very, very lovely. Yeah, and she seemed to be really into it. Um, there is still this sense that they're playing, these women are playing the game that the only avenue for women to succeed is by using their youth and their beauty to attract a man. It's not great that they play into it and tear each other down, and one day, they'll be competing with younger, prettier women too. They'll be like second wives. Right. Um, But at the same time, it's kind of hard to blame them. And I'm not condoning it at all, but the patriarchal system we live in, it really does pit us against each other. I guess I can see... I can see why it happens. I
1: mean, that's the whole idea behind anti-feminists in general, and I think Terse too.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Um, also, as the audience, I'd argue we're meant to tear down these women at least a little bit. We're poking fun at Annie's weakness, at Aliza's plastic surgery, at Brenda's frumpiness.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's supposed to be the obvious of why they were left. Again, something we see in society. We have to find a reason to blame. What did you do wrong? Why did he leave you? And and don't get me wrong, there's definitely two that tangoes. Yeah, it definitely takes two to tango. Mm-hmm. Let me try that one again. I did it? Um, and there's a, a whole other perspective that we might not see. We don't see. But then there's also that whole keep yourself together, keep, like all of these things, make yourself presentable, be desirable, whatever. And I have seen more and more of um, people flipping that switch to men or the other partner. Mm-hmm. And I've seen people t- say that to them as well. And I think that's unnecessary in just in general. It's traumatic in itself to try to blame whatever. It's something maybe you can't help or mm-hmm. something that you don't like about yourself either. It's not something that you want as a part of the reason that they left. So Right.
0: I think it's the kind of transitions into our next thing we wanted to talk about which is having it all,
1: right, which is a huge theme of the 90s for a lot of women. That's true. That's <laughs> Another true. theme, yeah, because the whole idea of having it all is it's impossible. It doesn't it's not going to happen. Um they start out so hopeful for their future having just graduated college in the 60s, which I'm sure was a big feat, but again, these were very privileged women, mm-hmm. once again, white women. So we're able to get their education pretty easily, it seemed, um, with their pearls yes. and champagne to celebrate. Yes. Um, but then we see them as adults, and they obviously do not have it all. Yeah. Um, it's a whole scenario of the young, naive idea of what it is to dream for the end all, um, to have perfect family lives with a princess-like marriage. Obviously, you see that dwindling away. And then you do see a lot about Divorce rates in general, and the falling apart of the American family, uh-huh. whether it's set up by lies <laughs>
0: <laughs> set up
1: by lies that's a that's a hallmark movie or something, is it? No, no, but it should be It should be I, let's go let's go right one now. okay. Um, or whether it's just this level of expectations that you're not meeting in front of other people. Mm-hmm. so kind of like whether it's I'm saying at a mom but I don't want to be, but I'm supposed to be. Or I am a, mom, I am a career woman, but I don't want to... Be. You know, any of those perspectives. Right. You're supposed to have it all and be all running that perfect home, being mm-hmm. the perfect wife, having the perfect career. Yeah. Nah. Yeah. And it's
0: it's a double-edged sword, too, because you're going to get blamed for being at work too much or not enough or right. being at home too much or not enough. Um, yeah. So they, they were all successful they all got married some had kids and they helped their husbands succeed only for these husbands to go and go for a younger woman once they had been established with the help of their first wives one tries to keep everyone happy at the expense of herself one tries to hold on to her youth at the expense of herself one lashes out at everyone at the expense of women everywhere Uh, they all define themselves as wives so when that was gone after everything they'd given up The best years of their lives, as is said in the movie more than once, they didn't know what to do with themselves. They lacked purpose. Their happiness had always been second. To see them reclaim themselves to take what's theirs and to find happiness and success in themselves and their friendships is really rewarding. They can't have it all, but with the help of each other, they get closer to having what they truly want.
1: Is that a tagline?
0: It, I mean, I'm it here. should be. I can write. That's awesome. I can write things. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we did want to talk about revenge versus justice as well because it's interesting how at the end, they turn their desire for revenge outward. They make it into something to help other people they keep emphasizing this is not revenge, this is justice. And their decision to start a nonprofit is a way of turning their desire for revenge into justice and honoring their friend that started this whole thing that brought them back together, which is especially interesting in light of what we talked about in our Women and Revenge episode, about how women are more likely to channel their desire for revenge into altruistic purposes.
1: Right, and I think there is a lot to be said when it comes to the female perspective of revenge and justice. Revenge is an all-out, maybe balls-out, hell-and-brimstone while justice is restoring the balance. I think if we look more deeply into it, for a feminist sake, it's trying to get balance, as we would say, that's what restoring implies. Like, you're getting it back to what it was. Right. But I think it can be know that it isn't there. There's a tip of the scale that changes the perspective. And if we look at it for the first time, it's not that they're getting balance. It's just they're trying to find balance. And put mm-hmm. justice into place because they never had that balance to begin with. Right. So it was a whole different level.
0: Yeah, it was always an unequal situation. Um, and to close out here, because we've had a surprising amount to say about First Wives Club, <laughs> or maybe not, I don't know. We did want to touch on some real world stuff, including Ivana Trump, because after we watched this, uh, we were curious
1: about her being in the movie and what she said, and we right. looked it up. Because I do remember the whole trope about the fact that she was the original first wife and, and that it was a huge tabloid mm-hmm. extravaganza it, when the divorce went down and what was happening and, and the new mistress, Marla Maples, coming in. And, yeah, a small bit of history because, honestly, again, I forgot about the whole mess. I just remember it being a big deal. Mm-hmm. I was really young at the point. You weren't born yet, probably. <laughs> a deposition relating to the divorce, she accused Donald Trump of rape, and pulling out handfuls of her hair. And in a book written by Harry Hurt, um, Lost Tycoon, The Many Lives of Donald J. Trump, Ivana Trump confirmed that she had felt violated, quote-unquote. However, in a statement provided by Donald J. Trump and his lawyers, Ivana Trump stated that she did use the word rape, but that she did not want her words to be interpreted in a literal or criminal sense, which isn't very comforting no. <laughs> in any way. And the divorce was granted in 1990 on the grounds of cruel and inhumane treatment by Mr. Trump. So that was actually written into the reasoning for divorce. The condition of the settlement was that she wouldn't talk about their marriage without his permission. Ugh. So, not to say too much, but this has obviously a lot of indications of all the accusations we see today. Yeah. It's been happening. It's been said. It's been said since 1990. Yeah. In official court documents. Mm-hmm. And I think it was important to remember, unfortunately, that this happened. Because I completely did not realize that statement was even written out. Yeah. As a part of the reason for their divorce. It was kind of funny at that time because everybody was making jokes about the fact that Donald was leaving her for a younger woman, Marla Maples. And all of these things came out about how he cheated and what he wanted and feeling like a failure. Because I think this was the beginning of him losing everything. mm and so, again, kind of having a breakdown and, and going for the younger woman, that's exactly that trope. But then how serious yeah. the situation was at the time and everybody was able to disregard and kind of forget about that history yeah, until I, I believe it was brought up again during the elections, but it was a small blip yeah. that everybody ignored.
0: Yeah. Um, and then another person we want to talk
1: about very briefly is Harvey Weinstein.
0: Just because it's really hard not to see some disturbing parallels between him and the situation with the young actress right. in, in the movie. So it is odd to watch that movie now with, right. like, our eyes, our modern eyes, and knowing what happens.
1: Right. Um, and it was treated so lightly at that yeah, point in time. like Again, that was just a thing. both of those situations were mm-hmm. treated so lightly, mm-hmm. and then today you're like, ugh. Yeah. I did not. Oh, it was bad.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then Gloria Steinem was there.
1: And then Gloria Steinem. So, I mean,
0: come on. That's uh, that's about what we have to say <laughs> <laughs> on First Wives Club. If you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix. Um, and we would love to hear from you what should be our next movie for Feminist Movie Friday. Well, oh, we're doing Mulan next. I was going to say, Spoiler. we have one. Yeah. Get excited for that. I'm
1: excited for that one. Um, but after that... What should we do? We definitely are going to come back for Heather's. Yes. And I think I'm going to do one over witches and, like, all together with the craft, which is a piece with multiple. And Hocus Pocus, possibly, because I feel like there's going to be a lot of interweaving. True. And the witches. There's a lot of movies we could talk about in there. Yeah, I guess I'd see that as such a. Because there's, yeah, they're all women.
0: Yes. Interestingly, (laughs) they're scary women. I love them. I love it, too. But in the meantime, you can email your suggestions to us at our email oh, at stuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at stuff Mom Never Told You. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Andrew Howard. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff Mom Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.